The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the second episode of the fourth season of Star Trek Lower Decks. I have no bones, yet I must flee. I'm Dom Bethanelli, and joining me today on the panel is Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. So, uh, Father Corey can't be with us again, uh, as we mentioned in our last episode, but uh, he'll be back for our next discussion. He's lost in another dimension. <laughs> That's right. We'll find him eventually. He's maybe in the Delta Quadrant. Remember to like The Secrets of Star Trek on Facebook at facebook.com slash Media. You can retweet us on Twitter where we are at SQPN. And be sure to leave us comments wherever you find us. We love to get your comments and share them as feedback. I want to tell you about another show on the StarQuest Network you are sure to enjoy called Let's Science. And you can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash science. So we are talking about this episode called I Have No Bones Yet I Must Flee. And Jimmy, can you give us a recap of what happens in this one? This week, we open with a ship of suspicious, scheming, planning, sinister, conspiring Romulans getting destroyed by the same mystery ship we saw at the end of last week's episode. Meanwhile, Mariner over overhears Ransom saying that she won't be his problem anymore, and she thinks he's setting her up to be demoted again, so she decides to act out so that she'll actually deserve the demotion when it comes. She acts out on a mission they go on to retrieve a couple of humans who have been accidentally put in a menagerie run by an intelligent corn plant man alien named Narge. While they're there, a terrifying bone-drinking super cute creature called a Moopsie is released, and it drinks Narge's bones and kills him uh, before going back to being super cute. Ransom thinks Mariner let it out as part of her acting out, and this leads them to confront the issues between them. It turns out that Ransom isn't setting her up for failure. He meant that she wasn't going to be his problem in the sense that he wasn't going to take the bait that she always self-sabotagingly dishes out to get demoted. Um, instead, he's going to be unrelentingly supportive of her no matter how difficult it is for him personally. Eventually, they recapture the Moopsie and learn that it was actually freed by the two humans in the menagerie so that they could have it kill Narge and keep the menagerie and its profits for themselves. Also, meanwhile, Rutherford is trying to get promoted to lieutenant junior grade like the others. He keeps presenting Chief Engineer Billups with minor improvements to ship systems, only to discover that a new ensign named Livick has just made better improvements that make Rutherford's obsolete. Rutherford is desperate to get promoted so that he and Tindy can still be friends and hang out, but Tindy, now his superior officer, orders him to still be her friend and hang out with her. At which point Rutherford says he wishes he hadn't already said no to a bunch of promotions for saving the ship multiple times so that he could stay a lowly ensign with Tindy. Tindy then asks Billups is Rutherford, if Rutherford can have one of these promotions back, and Billups agrees. So Rutherford is now a lieutenant junior grade two. This earns Tindy and Rutherford the anger of Ensign Livick, who was just about to get promoted when Tindy asked for Rutherford to be promoted instead. 
Meanwhile, Boimler has been having trouble finding acceptable quarters, but now that Rutherford is a lieutenant too, the two end up getting a room together, and it begins to feel like home to Boimler. The end. This is another one of those where we have A, B, and C plots. <laughs> well, that's normal. I, you know, yep. sometimes I can summarize a Star Trek or a Doctor Who in 10 lines, but this was 27 lines. <laughs> and that's normal for Lower Decks because they typically have a subplot focusing on each of our four Lower Deckers. Right. So the plots are, for being 24 minutes long, less than 24 minutes long, these are really plot intensive, which I love being a plot guy. <laughs> That's right. There's a lot of detail on these. So your overall impression of this episode? Um, I enjoyed it. Uh, I thought that it had a lot of fun stuff in it. I thought that it had a couple of writing flaws in that um, in that the she's not going to be my problem anymore line that sets the Mariner subplot in motion is... Um, forced mm-hmm. that is they they have to they have to give it a forced interpretation at the end of oh she's not going to be my problem in the sense that I'm going to be relentlessly supportive no matter how difficult that is for me personally that sounds like she's your problem you know this is a forced reading to get us into a threes company someone overhears something and takes it the wrong way Situation. I was literally about to say that exact same comparison. That's what yeah. I was going to say is it's a threes company. Like, oh, oh, I overheard Jack Tripper saying something and now I'm going to interpret it the wrong way. And yeah. the hijinks ensue. Yeah, because that's the plot of basically every episode of Three's Company. <laughs> right. um, also, I thought the the Rutherford thing of getting Rutherford held back from promotion last episode only for him to get it easily and in a comedic way this episode was forced because of all of the lower deckers Rutherford has saved the ship more than anybody yeah and he should have been first on the promotion list last episode so it was it felt forced and artificial to hold him back especially with the pretext of oh I technically broke Voyager and engineers are supposed to fix things so I shouldn't be promoted right now Right. When in reality, the breaking Voyager was what saved everybody. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> engineers should come up with solutions. That's what engineers do. Not fix yeah. things. They they solve things. So, uh, yeah, let's start at the top with the Romulans and the mysterious threat that shows up again. I love how scheming they are <laughs> in just this teeny little one off scene. You've got the two yeah. Romulan officers totally scheming to knock over their commander. And and move up in rank. And they're they're jousting with each other about whose scheming is better. And they're drawing subtle distinctions between schemes and plans and conspiracies as if these were all different things. Right, right. It, it, that's the thing that Lower Decks does is it takes, you know, this tiny thing and, and, and overemphasizes it, you know, whether it's mm-hmm. the Klingons being overly violent and, you know, whatever. And, you know, the Romulans being overly scheming. It's just the, it's the it's the fun aspect of it. And so they're cleaning up after their the, the remains of uh, Riemann being tortured to death, uh, in, in, which is apparently a very messy affair. And uh, then they you know, then they go to the bridge. And, and even when we get on the bridge, the captain is like, I know you guys want to 
you know, betray me and take my place. But I've got more urgent things to deal with right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's when we see this uh, this ship that shows up, manages to see them through their cloaking device and uh, disable when, their weapons. Yep. And disable the weapons and destroy the ship quite easily. Uh, so uh, that's uh, again with, with this. Who knows when the uh, this plot, you know, this sub subplot will be, uh, you know, this uh, arc I'm brought, sorry, I'm brought to out it. into the open. But uh, yeah, I, I'm curious to see if we'll see that in the next episode um, or if they'll continue to have it attack other things, maybe Cardassian or something next. Uh, so then we we get to the Cerritos and we have this funny image of Ransom and Shax stretching, wearing leotards. <laughs> <laughs> and exactly the same leotards that Beverly Crusher and Deanna Troy were wearing in a similar stretching scene in Next Generation. It was so funny because it is so incongruous and it's just I mean, that's the thing. It's just so so hysterical. Uh, and I agree. The as you said, this whole thing of the Mariner overhearing and, oh, he's going to bust me back to Ensign. So I'll just make him must be like it's just kind of dumb. Like. No one does that. <laughs> well, I can accept it based on the comedic character they built up for Mariner, that if she thought someone was going to demote her unfairly, she would take the opportunity to to give him a reason to yeah. give him a reason. So I'll actually deserve it when this comes. Didn't she it, do that? Because at least she can get the satisfaction of making making the other person frustrated. If they're going to demote her anyway, she can rake him over the coals first. Right. Did she not do this in that episode last season where they were on the uh, the uh, space, space elevator? The space elevator, yeah. Well, they refer to that episode in this. Um, she she points out to uh, uh, to uh, Rutherford his pattern of behavior in this regard, and she says, "You did it to me on this occasion, and you did it to me on this occasion," and he has excuses. For those. And then she says, and you did it on the space elevator. And she says, he says, technically, that was an orbital tether, which I took as a tacit acknowledgement. He did it to her in that episode. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, but, oh, by the way, uh, we shouldn't uh, leave this scene before mentioning that in addition to the leotards, the other connection to the TNG episode was Shax and Ransom decided to go off and have hot fudge Sundays. Yes. Which, which pressure. And, 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 and since they're both these big, muscly, buff guys they also uh throw a cover on that of, uh, uh, as they're doing their workout after the you want to go get a chocolate chocolate sunday or whatever um ransom goes cheat day cheat day <laughs> <laughs> right right <laughs> cheat day is a thing that uh that uh, uh bodybuilders do where they have a day where they, they... Well, and and other forms of dieters i mean right. i do i do one meal a day fasting six days of the week, but Sunday I don't because it's the Lord's day. And so Sunday is, you could call my cheat day. Right. Right. And I guess it's an acknowledgement of human nature. Like we want mm -hmm. to break out of the things have, that restrict us occasionally. Yeah. Have some extra, you know, have some things that are, that are pleasurable that vary the routine and stuff like that. And, and that makes sense. So another uh, Star Trek trope that they, they want to uh, acknowledge in this episode is the menageries. This, this thing where, uh, you know, aliens are collecting stuff like the famous episode of TNG, the collector uh, uh, is one instance where they're collecting aliens or the cage 
and putting them in cages. And a lot of times these are intelligent beings. And so they kind of make a joke about how often this happens to humans getting stuck in alien menageries. And it's in other franchises, too. I I remember reading a a comic book of Space 1999 where it happens to our main characters from Space 1999. Right, right. There was an early episode of The Orville that had one, too, another menagerie. Yeah, that's that's true. So uh, so it's it's like almost like a standard mission that's assigned to the second tier ships like the Cerritos to go, you know, get them back to uh, spring them from the menageries. And it's like a standard. Oh, yeah, sure. When they show up. Sure. Oh, yeah, here we go. It's we'll, we'll just give you your people back. Yeah. No. And Narge is totally cool. Giving them their people back. He's a corn man. And so he acknowledges he has trouble telling his mammalian species apart. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, so uh, Mariner is she shows up to the mission to the shuttlecraft oh it, and, and and by a corn man i should say he's literally a walking stalk of corn right right yeah that's the thing you have to remember there's a so there's mariner ransom and then this third ensign uh ensign gary who's yeah new. and who's uh, new and didn't make enough of a dent in the plot that i didn't even mention him in the summary but he kind of acts as the straight man the yeah the the character who kind of points out how crazy Mariner and Ransom are in their antics. Right. He's caught in the middle between them trying to be reasonable. And there's actually a, a really nice line. He he actually gets several nice lines for not having. He's mainly a reaction character. He doesn't really advance the plot. Yep. Um, but, you know, at, at, at quickly after he he's introduced for this mission, they're going on the. um they're heading to the the space base that has a menagerie and Ransom tells Mariner, who's piloting, to take it nice and easy. And so she like guns it and slams it on the brakes at the last minute as they're inside the landing hangar on the space base. And she says, was that nice and easy enough for you? And <laughs> Ensign Gary says, um, I need to replicate some new pants. <laughs> and and, so and then... Then later on, something else dramatic happens, and he's like, yeah, I need to replicate some more new pants. <laughs> <laughs> but he's also got this great line where, you know, he started to pick up on what's happening between Ransom and Mariner, that they're barbing each other intentionally. And mm-hmm. he tells Mariner, I'm having a little trouble decoding the dynamic here, but I'd really like to be left out of it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> At one point he says, I should have been an outpost scientist, which yeah. is a callback to last season when, the, when they had like outpost scientists are always getting killed. And, you know. Oh, and even earlier than that, in season one of Lower Decks, there's a great scene where uh, Boimler has lost faith in himself as a as a Starfleet officer. And he's he's moping and he's saying I and he's on the verge of tears and he's saying I, I, I should have been an outpost scientist. And then six months from now, I would mysteriously vanish when I get eaten by a creature on an asteroid and no one would even know what was happening until they piece together the story for my final shaky logs. And, and Mariner says, no, don't even say that. And it was at that moment I said, the writers get this series. This is affectionate humor. They totally understand the source material that they are working with. That's right. That's right. (laughs) So uh, this menagerie apparently is made up of everything in it is incredibly dangerous, which is kind of funny because you have these two, you know, 
humans. normal humans, but uh, turn out it, to be incredibly dangerous, <laughs> right? <laughs> but because they're normal humans, and uh, and of course the cute Moopsie is in there, and they're like, "How dangerous can it be?" Well, it turns out it drinks bones, which is hysterical. Yeah, yeah uh, the he, he's also got these fearsome looking creatures called swamp gobblers. Yeah, that we see for comparison to the cute little Moopsie, which looks like a little anime cute. Animal character, yeah. like something from Pokemon, and um, and Narge says, "I mean, the swamp gobblers will only eat your flesh, but the Moopsie drinks your bones." <laughs> and they're like, "Drinks your bones? That doesn't make any sense." And then we see the Moopsie leap onto one of the swamp gobblers, sink its fangs into it, and suck it dry <laughs> in like an instant. Yeah. Obviously, turning its bones into liquid in the process. Yeah, the swamp gobblers look a lot like velociraptors. If you want to think of that, so and, and then it goes back to being super cute and says, "Moopsie." So I can't be sure, and Memory Alpha was no help when I was looking this up. But I think the voice actor from Moopsie, based on the one word, is the same girl, the twelve-year-old mm-hmm. girl who does rock talk in Prodigy. Oh, really? Uh, it's the same cute voice. Her name's hmm. uh, the actress is Riley Alazraki. I'm hoping mm-hmm. I'm saying that right. Her dad, Carlos, is also a voice actor who did Lower Decks, guest boss on Lower Decks, who's Admiral Buenamigo and the Alito Ali- oh, villain. Yes. Oh, okay. So I, I, I mean, I don't know if it's actually added the, sometimes they add more information as things go, but um, I, th- oh no, someone else. It's I, I see now someone fe- found out the name R- Rowan Lie plays um, hmm. Oopsie. So now the, it, it, but it has that same cute thing going on where mm-hmm. cute, but something uh, more dangerous, which is a similar with rock rock talk in, mm-hmm. in, in the prodigy cute, but also more dangerous. Any case. Uh, so the, the solution they come up with is all an all lower deck solution, which is uh, Mariner has to punch. Ransom's oh, yeah. teeth out of his head, and they use that as a way to lure the Moopsie back into its cage uh, mm-hmm. through through the open door, one tiny bone at a time. <laughs> right. Someone points out that teeth technically aren't bones, but I don't know. Yeah, close <laughs> enough. It's close enough. Yeah, and uh, and and we get great. We get some nice comedy scenes of. Uh, of ransom after at his instigation yes. mariner has knocked all his teeth out and so he's just got gums and is trying to talk with his gums <laughs> and he seems remarkably unconcerned about yeah. the pain of it and then when dr taana puts his teeth back in like makes new teeth mm-hmm. for him the way they animate his face is like the the teeth are just way too big like yes. the mouth <laughs> it's so- yeah it, she got big teeth put in <laughs> I, I wonder if it's going to eventually, you know, wear in, but it's just it's really pretty funny. The, 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 uh, the idea, like it was the image. I couldn't tell staring at the the teeth in the mouth. It was really wild. Uh, so yeah. And then, you know, there's the antics of them running around the station and that sort of thing. Um, and, and finding out that the humans had hacked into the system in their, in their cage, to open up the door for the Moopsie cage. And so humans really are the most dangerous of all game, you know, the, da- the most dangerous prey. Except they're not used as game in this episode. No, no. 
That's just a that's just an that's an allusion to a story um, called the most dangerous game, which is a little more than a hundred years old. Mm-hmm. And there's basically a count named Zaroff, if I recall correctly, who has it? an island, and he invites ship. He has shipwrecked people on his island, or otherwise, and there are bunches of remakes of this. Sometimes he invites people to his island, and then he hunts the people on on the grounds that of all game animals, humans are the most dangerous because they can think on your level right and um and that also inspired the zodiac killer so there's it's got that going mm. for it um there's been a, several a bunch of star trek episodes that had the same concept too right the idea oh that yeah hunting the, the people loads of hunting people in I mean, science erosion. fiction tropes yeah yeah it, it well it, them but that's just one example there's yeah. there's loads of in star trek and in other science fiction of remakes of the most dangerous game that and the seven samurai oh are yes yeah just constantly being remade yep um, it, there's also another illusion uh the title of this episode uh i have no bones yet i must flee is an allusion to a short story by harlan ellison called i have no mouth and i must scream right is there any other connection to that than the title not really not from what i've discerned i i looked at the plots i, I looked at the plot synopsis and i didn't see any notable similarities okay okay i think it was just i think what drove it is the moopsie drinks your bones. Right. And and then that led to, what can we call this? Oh, I have no <laughs> bones and I must flee. <laughs> right, right. So uh, let's talk quickly about the the Boimler's room problem. Now that he's no longer an ensign, yeah. he's not in the, they're not in the bunk room. Uh, so I don't know if we'll see that, that set again, uh, but he's been assigned quarters. But as a, the, the lowest uh, Lieutenant Junior Grade. He gets he gets the worst quarters. <laughs> so his first one is right next to the nacelle, the Bussard Collector, that glowy part on the front part of the nacelle, and it shines into the room like this brilliant red light. And there's throbbing sounds, and it's clearly yes. unsuitable. Right, and even tries to put glasses on, but at, at one point, Rutherford does something to the nacelle that makes it glow even brighter, uh, and uh, he can't stand it in there. So then his next room uh, that he gets is between two holodecks, and of mm-hmm. course the walls between the holodecks are very between the holodecks in his room are very thin, like a, like a bad motel room. Right. So in one of the holodecks, Shax and Tana are engaging in a hollow novel of some sort that is based on Peter Pan. And Peter Pan or Ta- Robin Hood. Uh, well, they say Peter Pan later on, but they do have Robin Hood like stuff. So, yeah, I'm not sure. But um, Ta'ana is wanting to use this to give vent to her violent impulses. And I thought they were going to have him overhearing sex, but they didn't. Right. In- instead, Ta'ana is is like violently killing Peter Pan. And there's. There's a line that I think Boimler has about wanting a room where he can't hear anybody decapitating Peter Pan. (laughs) (laughs) And then on the other side is another one where um, Captain Freeman is going in for a holonovel or something. And in her scenario, she's like elected the 
first something or other president of the United Planets. And so she says, and now for my inaugural scat. And she starts singing scat. (laughs) And and Rutherford, so when Rutherford has his bed up against Boimler, when Boimler has his bed up against one wall, he can hear Peter Pan being decapitated. When he has his bed up against the other wall, he can hear Captain Freeman singing scat. (laughs) So his solution was to go set up a a room in a in a Jeffrey's in a, tube. In a Jeffrey's tube. <laughs> <laughs> so where that's where he ends oh, up seeing Rutherford. And and that's where the line comes, because Rutherford comes and asks what's he's doing here, and he says, Well, at least here I can't hear anyone decapitating Peter Pan. <laughs> right. That's right. <laughs> and then you know, in the end, after Rutherford gets his promotion, they end up being roomies. And they get assigned to the first room again with the next one. The cell is like, oh, no. And then, and then Rutherford says, oh, here, let me turn the shades on, you know, and yeah. it, it darkens the the, uh, the viewport. Just need to adjust the windows. <laughs> That's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, then you know, we can talk about Rutherford's promotion. And, you know, he's such a nice guy, uh, you know, all the time. That's that's one of his things. Uh, and he he. He decide you know decides that the way to get promoted as an engineer is to come up with some minor improvement to increase efficiency of some system by like a decimal point percentage, <laughs> and but every time he comes up with one, this other guy Livick beats him to it. Livick is apparently new, beats him to it and gets it better, including one that involves those lit up tubes where you see like there's always this. Oh, yeah. All kinds of cycling lit up tubes in the background that they never give us a function for. They're in all kinds of sci fi shows, especially of the 80s. Like you see them all the time. I remember I actually saw a YouTube video that collected as many of those appearances of these tubes Mm -hmm. as possible. And there's a lot of them, although they call them Tucker tubes, perhaps Mm -hmm. a reference to Trip Tucker of the Enterprise. Uh, And, you know, Rutherford increases the efficiency of those. And then Livick found a way to add a third tube, which is I just think per, perfect lower decks, uh, you know, comedy there. Um, and he, he, to suck up to the boss, he calls it the Billups tube. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, and, uh, but again, in the end, as you mentioned, you know, the, and, and, and Billups says, I don't even know what these things do. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> which is what everyone, you know, the, the idea is nobody knows what these things are, but they're just there in every episode. Uh, but the, uh, the interesting thing is, is, you know, so Rutherford at the end, oh, I can't get my promotion. Livick's getting getting my promotion instead of me. And it's the, the the lesson is he just needs to ask. He never asked for the promotion he deserved. Well, he just needs to not say no because they offered him repeated promotions and he kept saying no so he could bunk with Tindy and be friends. Right, right. Uh, and and so he he so Tendy asks for him and Billups like oh yeah sure here he just flings the, the pip <laughs> it instantly changes who he was about to promote from Livick to to Rutherford so of course Livick is livid yes. at at both Tendy and Rutherford for what just happened to him getting denied a promotion he was on the verge of getting <laughs> it can't be a coincidence that his name is Livick. Uh, but uh, you can't have more than one promotion, but okay. <laughs> well, we did last episode, but not this time. Maybe we've run out of space for lieutenants junior grade, but in or any pips. Case. Yeah, or pips. Can't replicate those. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's it. And then Rutherford and Boimler as roommates. That's how we end things. And so we sort of set up a new a new way of doing things. I, I suppose mm-hmm. Tendy and uh, Marin will be roommates. Maybe, or maybe Tendi and Talin. Right. 
Kendi has kind of attached herself to Talyn. Yeah, she wants to be science buddies with her too, and <laughs> it, making them be roommates would would foster that subplot if they choose to go that way. Right. Right. And they could have they could have Mariner with Jennifer the Andorian or something like that. <laughs> right. Right. That would be awkward because they were together before and now they're not. So that would that would set up some comedy there, I think. Um, so uh, one thing I noticed, by the way, is that uh, Boimler has a mirror universe archer action figure. <laughs> I don't know if you mm-hmm. caught that. That was yeah, uh, oh yeah. Not just a regular archer, but mirror universe archer, which is kind of Ca- like crazy. Mirror mirror universe captain archer shown wearing the green vest. Yes. Which only mirror universe captain archer was shown wearing in Star Trek Enterprise. Right, right. Uh, the the Kirk outfit. So. Which raises a question of how does he even know about Mirror Universe Archer? Because those those two Mirror Universe episodes never cross connected with the prime timeline. Exactly. Exactly. That's that's the that's the real humor in that. So it's really funny. Um, so any other notes from you on this one? Uh, nope. OK, so uh, that should conclude our discussion this time. Then we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create. The Secrets of Star Trek, including Jamie N., Michael L., Tony G., Austin L., and Samuel E. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. This StarQuest show is brought to you in part by Sam Castry Law, LLC, focusing on business and entertainment law in the greater Chicagoland area and intellectual property law across the U.S. Learn more by visiting castrelaw.com, C-A-S-T-R-E-E-Law.com, licensed to practice in Illinois and before the United States Trademark Office. So that's it from us this time. What did you think of I Have No Bones, Yet I Must Flee? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia or send an email to trek at sqpn.com, or visit our Discord community at sqpn.com slash Discord. And you can watch The Secrets of Star Trek on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash starquestmedia, where you should also be sure to leave a comment, to like the episode, and to subscribe. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next new episode of Lower Decks called In the Cradle of Vexalon. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, moopsie. Moopsie.